Well, once again, we are so delighted to be here in our new building this day. This is just, I can hardly express how happy I am to be here, that we have finally reached this point. Uh, last night, for those of you who weren't able to join us, we had a wonderful time of prayer and praise as we bathed this new facility in prayer, uh, asking God to be with us for all the future uses that we put this building to. Uh, this day is the culmination of a building project, I guess you could say, that started basically 11 months ago. Uh, in, it was in March of last year uh, when Gene, where is he? He's some, oh, there he is. It was about 11 months ago when Gene let me know, hey, there, there's a PCUSA congregation right up the road that's, that's shutting down. And so that got this whole thing started. And, uh, and here it is today, the day of culmination. Now, our building project, you could say, took us about 11 months to complete. From the time we heard about this building to the time that we're in it, about 11 months. And um, according to 1 Kings 6.38, uh, the building project that they were celebrating the completion of in our passage, the building project of the temple, it took them seven years. Seven years of building the temple. And, uh, you know, they celebrated the, the final building of it with a two-week-long party. Okay, at first, when they're bringing in the ark into the temple, uh, it says they rejoiced so much, they, they offered countless sacrifices of oxen and sheep. And then right after he does this prayer, they offer another round of sacrifices, and this time they decided to count, and it says that there were 20,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Imagine, that's a lot of slaughtering. That's a lot of barbecue, Right? You know, I, I thought of, you know, I, I, I questioned, I debated internally whether it would be a good idea, you know, to have a hog roast outside to commemorate the occasion. You know, I, I, I decided that would, you know, not be the best idea. Uh, but still, a party. And in the midst of it, King Solomon acts as the mediator of interceding on behalf of his people to God. And this passage that we have read is his petition to God, dedicating the building to God for divine purposes. And now some of you may, may wonder, why did they talk about the temple? Uh, well, because it's a house of worship. Um, I need to dispel some untruths that are out there, uh, just right off the bat to clear it off. There is no church building in the New Covenant era, that has the significance, that's a direct correlation of the Old Covenant temple, okay? You heard him very clearly say when they pray towards this place, well, you don't need to find, you don't need to GPS this building and, and pray towards this building when you pray. The great news is that God hears you wherever you are. We've done worship services on the back of Humvees in the middle of Afghanistan, uh, I attended a chapel service in the middle of Panama. I mean, you can worship wherever you are. So why then do we talk about this being our house? Well, re remember, even in the Old Covenant, the house of God, the, the temple where God was setting his presence, where sacrifices and where worship was to take place, we learn in the New Testament that all of that was a picture. All of that was a type. All of it was a shadow of the person of Christ, 
Every time you read the Old Testament and you see God being very particular about when, where, and how they offer sacrifices or where they worship, it is screaming the exclusivity of Christ. You see, it is only in Christ that you have a sacrifice acceptable to God. It is only by looking to Christ that you have prayers that will be heard by God for your salvation. It is only in the person of Christ that we can find the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation that we need to have relationship with God. So every time you see something like this, hear the exclusivity of Christ. Okay? There is no other way. But then, in the verses preceding this, it says that the, the priest couldn't even enter the ark because the glory of the Lord filled it. Did you know that this building is filled with a glory that is greater than that temple that day? In, in the temple, we had a residual glory that came in smoke. But this building is animated by believers who have the Holy Spirit of God in us. So when we are gathered, the glory of God radiates from this building because we are the temple of God. Oh, yes. Did you know that the New Testament in multiple places calls us the temple of God? 1 Corinthians 3, 6 or 316, 2 Corinthians 616, of course, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. We are the temple of God. So where are you going with this, Ben? Well, we have the opportunity this day to set for ourselves a course. We have the opportunity to decide what kind of place will this place be? Then as now, God did not need the temple. Did you know that God didn't need that temple? They did. The temple wasn't for God. The temple was for them. And Solomon got it. Yes, it's true that later generations of Hebrews took a superstitious view of the temple that they thought God was like there. And so they were so pagan in their thinking that they thought for sure Israel could never fall because God who cannot be defeated is there. But Solomon here gets it. You see it in verse 18 that he acknowledges that the heavens can't contain God, much less this little building. God wasn't like captured and, and, and localized and, and compressed into a building. The building was given as a beacon, a reference point that they could look to and turn to because humans need a reference point. When your kids are scared, they need to know, where's mommy? Where's daddy? If your dog gets scared, it comes running for you, right? When people are scared, they want to know, where can I go for safety? We need a reference point. And so God has been pleased throughout history to use spaces and places as a reference point for his people at which they can know that they are in his presence. And so Solomon here 
prays a prayer of dedication. And in his prayer, you see a, his heart about what kind of place he wanted this temple to be. And I think that it also provides for us the opportunity to ask ourselves when we consider our space and our place, what kind of place do we want it to be? We see in his prayer, he opens by praising God. He gets up on this platform he's made. It's about seven and a half by seven and a half by about four feet tall. And he's up there. And you may say, well, that's kind of showy. Well, I mean, he was the king. And I mean, you, you get up when you're the king. But more than that, he was interceding on behalf of his people. And so as we set a tone for this church, understand, I'm, gonna t I'm talking to myself and I'm talking to the other leaders. It starts with you. You set the tone. By the time the tone is so ingrained in the people, eventually it becomes beyond the power of any leader to change it. That's why, for example, King Josiah, his reforms didn't change the people because after hundreds of years of gross immorality, it was just in the blood of the people. But here we are at the start of a new day. And we have the opportunity to set a tone for our church. Leaders, it starts with you. It starts with me. If our people, the flock amongst whom we have been placed, find us acting a fool or setting an example that God is not a consequential thing for us, then how will it ever be different for them? They will be like us. So leaders, lead in godliness. But it's what he does with the place that I want to challenge you. All of you. He begins by praising God and acknowledging his covenant faithfulness. And that's the first thing I believe he wanted the temple to be. And it's the first thing I would suggest that we need this place to be. A place of praise. God exists beyond time and space. And he doesn't need any of us. He's not benefited by us. We get all the good, but yet in his glorious, merciful, magnificent condescension, he enters into covenant with us. That is a binding bond relationship, and he secures it with the blood of his son. He will not let you go. And he is faithful through the generations. He is faithful, and he keeps his promise. He keeps his name. He keeps his word. And so we should begin by saying this house will be a house in which the name of the Lord and his faithfulness is praised. But then second, this above all else should be a place of prayer. Notice in these verses, he references 19 times the prayers that would be uttered, the petitions that would be rendered. Prayer, every single one of those lists includes prayer. When they pray, pray, plea, 19 times. And of course, later on in Isaiah 56, 7, he specifies that my house will be a house of prayer, which of course we know by the time of Jesus' day, they had, they had uh, forgotten that purpose 
kind of like the way some of us have used our uh, home exercise equipment as a coat, as a, as a clothing hanger. Uh, we've forgotten the original purpose. Well, they had forgot the original, and they were profiteering in it. And it, as you know, Jesus was rather assertive in his response to their activities. A place of prayer. A place where our primary purpose is communicating and relating with God. It is not a problem for most of us that we spend too much time in prayer. For most of us, it's a problem that we don't spend enough time. You know, I mean, we per perhaps even as a church, we spend far too little time. We all have good intentions, but we need to make a concerted effort, a willed effort to be characterized as a people of prayer who offer our petitions to God. We live and we breathe and we move because of him and our relationship with him. Let us be people of prayer and let this be a place of prayer. And so maybe that means we need to figure out how to cut out the distractions so that when people come here, they can know that a mood will be set for them that enables rather than hinders their prayers. Maybe it means that before the service, we need to keep all the talking out there so people can have a worshipful tone setting in their heart when they come in here. Maybe. A place of prayer. But third, this needs to be a place, as the temple needed to be a place, of second chances. And that can be broken down into the process of repentance and forgiveness. Every single one of the problems that the people of Israel could face that Solomon addressed pertained to their need for forgiveness. That is a stark contrast with the world this day. We label all of our maladies and problems under disorders and, and, uh, and, and, and inconveniences. But he saw everything as related fundamentally to our problem with sin and the need to be forgiven. Will we proclaim that? People who had guilty consciences, who were in desperate trouble, needed to find their way there. They were looking for the chance to repent People need that. Have you not ever done something and you need to get off your chest and you want to turn a new leaf? Are we going to be a place that will let people do that? Or will we be a place that says, you did X, Y, or Z and you're going to be marked by it until you die? Will we let people repent? And then will we proclaim and celebrate the forgiveness that God offers? You see, they had to offer countless sacrifices. Truly, tens upon tens, scores upon scores of thousands of bulls and goats and sheep were slaughtered. And according to Hebrews, the blood of infinite bulls and goats doesn't take away sin. It's the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. So whatever forgiveness they had, we have it in spades in Christ. We have true forgiveness to offer people in Christ's name. People with guilty consciences, guilty, stained, wrecked pasts 
need to know that this is a place where they can find healing, forgiveness, and a new start. Will we give it to them? It also needs to be a place of instruction. In verse 27, it speaks about when the Lord teaches them the right way in which they should walk. And of course, the only way any of us is going to know of God's covenant faithfulness to us is if we teach it. And so, of course, as has been the practice from, I think, day one of this church, we proclaim the gospel. The good news that God offers full pardon, adoption, and reconciliation in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the only hope for right relationship with God by any man, woman, boy, or girl. That is what we teach. And so we will continue to systematically and yeah, even, even occasionally topically, to expound God's word because it is life to us. And that is the good way in which we should go. Never let the words of Psalm 1 far from your mind. There's only two ways to live your life. You can live it by the Lord's instruction or by the instruction of the world. And one of those ways perishes and one of them prospers. Finally, the temple was to be a place of outreach. When the foreigners came because they heard and they came to worship. In other words, they're converting their faith to Yahweh. We need to be a place where we engage in outreach. Internationally, nationally across the country, and then even locally. We need to be defined as a place where people know God is at work here. And when outsiders come, they're welcomed. And they are, their worship and their participation is encouraged. And where we then take the energy we have here and send it back out in support of our partners who are ministering in places where it's just frankly too inconvenient for all of us to go. That's why we have missionaries. They go on our behalf. They act in our stead a place of outreach for the glory of God's name. Let the nations be glad and the peoples rejoice because he is good. So what kind of place will this place be? The tone is up for us to set even this day. Will this be a place characterized by praise, by prayer, by second chances, by teaching and outreach? Or will this be a place characterized by you fill in the blank. The choice, brothers and sisters, is yours. Let's pray.